Today we are going to talk about a new article that's coming out, a new way to teach and practice manual therapy. We discuss the purpose of the article, what is considered traditional manual therapy, and why it is not supported by current evidence, the clinical and cost effectiveness of manual therapy, the new framework Dr. Carey proposes, and what it means in practical terms. As physical therapists, I believe most of us use manual therapy, and this topic can be very polemic, so stick around! This is PT Pro Talk. My name is Mariana Parks, physical therapist and your host. Our guest today is Dr. Roger Carey, a physio with over 25 years of experience and a master's in manipulative physiotherapy. He has worked as a clinical specialist and extended scope practitioner in orthopedics prior to beginning his role at Nottingham University as an associate professor in the Faculty of Medicine and Health Science. In addition to this, he is a member of the International Federation of Orthopedic Manipulative Physical Therapists Working Group for International Framework for Examination of the Cervical Region for Potential of Cervical Arterial Dysfunction Prior to Orthopedic Manual Therapy Intervention. I hope you enjoyed the show! PT ProTalk podcast is only possible with the support of the forward-looking and innovative company Systems for PT, the do-anything, anytime EMR. Systems for PT develops systems for clinics so you can focus on your patients. Go to systemsforpt.com to schedule a demo today. Hi, Roger. Welcome to PT ProTalk. How are you today? Good. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. This is a real pleasure. Awesome, I'm honored to have you here and let's get started talking a little bit about your background. Just uh, talk a little bit about yourself for the ones that don't know you. So I, my name is Roger Carey. I'm a physiotherapist from the UK. Uh, I work at the University of Nottingham at the moment, which is right in the middle of the UK, uh, where Robin Hood comes from, all that sort of thing. Um, I've may I'm mainly involved in education and some research now, some clinical work. But I work clinically as what was known back in the day as uh, extended scope practitioner, first contact advanced practitioner type thing. It ch- these things change their names every year, and I can't keep up with them. It, it was basically you know more on the diagnostic side of orthopedics and musculoskeletal. But now interested, still much the same thing, uh, but lots of rehab stuff as well. Um, and just teaching areas of again, musculoskeletal, clinical reasoning evidence. Uh, my PhD is actually in philosophy, philosophy of science. So philosophy of evidence-based medicine uh, in particular. Well, philo- philosophy of randomized controlled trials in, in particular. But uh, that's that sort of thing. So it's good to integrate that sort of critical and philosophical thinking into everyday discussions as well. Um, yeah, so I guess that's that's about it. Not too exciting, but... Well, uh we know that we have a new paper coming out, hopefully sooner than later, right? Um, about the, the new way to teach and practice manual therapy, right? Yes, yes. So let's talk about that. So what is the purpose of the paper? So, uh, okay, long story shortish. 
Um, so we teach manual therapy, obviously. We're a physiotherapy programme. And over the years, that sort of changed a bit. And every year, it's we sort of think, how, how are we going to deliver this now in line with the evidence and blah, blah. And over the last few years, our, our delivery of manual therapy education and the learner's experience of learning it has really got a bit simpler and simpler, really. Um, and we've stripped away a lot of stuff. You know, I, I was trained. I did all the stuff. I did all the... Maitland stuff, the Mulligan stuff, the McKenzie. Anybody beginning with M, I probably did a course <laughs> on and got, got really good at this and that. And, that. and then uh, I guess as we get more confident in teaching, there's a lot of stuff you can start to leave out and it doesn't make so much of a difference. Um, and which is what, which is, I mean, I, I guess maybe we'll talk a bit more about the evidence as we go on. But essentially, in a nutshell, I think that's what the evidence says basically touch therapeutic touch has some effect if it's part of a multimodal approach to most conditions musculoskeletal wise but it doesn't matter how you do that you don't have to be specialist this and complicated that and this and that the simplest things so we we del we deliver our manual therapy at the simplest lowest level of effectiveness possible but the effectiveness is still the same as if we did if we delivered it you know spent a lot more time and did it in a lot more specialist ways so the paper started with myself and a couple of colleagues at nottingham uh edley and uh uh vasilius georgiopoulos um and we we thought we we should write this up as an education thing uh, and then, of course, we thought, well, of course, if this applies to education, it also applies to practice. So we, we, we're sort of trying to tell people, faculty people, this is how we think you should deliver manual therapy. Clinicians, this is how we think you should do manual therapy with, with your patient. So it's a very simple paper. It's just saying, get rid of all the rubbish, keep the good stuff, and life becomes a lot easier. Um, now we have submitted the paper and it got some very critical reviews from people who obviously don't don't like this sort of thing uh, which we can respond to quite nicely so we're ready to sort of resubmit and have another challenge uh there's this i think we're going to make as many friends as we are enemies with this with this paper <laughs> well i think that's great so we can we can have a great discussion about it and why don't you start telling us what is considered traditional manual therapy and what are its principles so we can understand the arguments around it? So the way we talk about things, uh, we've made up some terminology just to, just to make it simple to talk about. So we talk about manual therapy and we use, the, we use those two words, manual therapy, to mean the stuff of the future, the stuff as it should be from now onwards. And we use the term traditional manual therapy to talk about the stuff we're trying to get rid of. Uh, so, so our argument is traditional manual therapy is made up of a number of things and we, we call them the sort of three principles or whatever. And so the argument goes, traditional manual therapy relies on these three principles, which we'll go, go into. Well, quite simply, there's, there's stuff to do with specialist, sort of client-centered palpation skills, being very specific with techniques, 
and basing your approach on a very pathoanatomical reasoning process. So if you look, if you look at any sort of back, if you look at the background of manual therapy, and look at any writing about in the old sort of Syriacs, Maitland, whatever books, you can see those three principles are there right from the start, and they hold up. They hold up this idea of traditional manual therapy. And then the second, the second premise to the argument is just by chance, the evidence is consistently showing that those principles uh, sort of don't, don't really exist in that way. So, so it doesn't matter if your palpation is, is uh, specific or um, specialised. It doesn't matter which way you push somebody's bits uh, whatever and the uh, pathoanatomical reasoning has been sort of shot out the water because we, we, we're left with this sort of black box we don't really know what's happening with manual therapy other than some sort of uh, you know neuromodulation theories and, and such like so so those three principles um we, we say don't exist anymore therefore traditional manual therapy doesn't exist so where does that leave us well, the evidence, the sort of effectiveness evidence, trials, systematic reviews of randomised controlled trials, still suggest that there is a, an effect, you know, positive health effect from manual therapy. But it doesn't, it doesn't rely on any of those three principles. All it relies on is care, being nice to somebody, doing it at the right time with the right people, doing it safely, comfortably and efficiently. The sort of normal things of good practice in it in any area whether this is exercise or medicine or whatever just those basics so we found that we can actually teach that just based on those humanistic principles and we don't need all that specialist stuff and people still get really good at doing manual therapy but it's far more efficient it's and and the effectiveness is 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 there so, so that's the sort of background argument. There was this thing called traditional manual therapy built on these three principles. Evidence has sort of destroyed those three principles. What's left? Something really nice and simple, actually, that's still effective. And that's all, that's all we're saying. It's really just common sense. It's really nothing more than straightforward common sense. But what we're trying to do, what we've done, we've written the paper between the manual therapy profession and so it's it involves uh, chiropractors osteopaths physical therapists and soft tissue um uh people uh, as well and there's this sort of consensus between those three and these are people from the uk from america from europe uh so it's a spread of people and a spread of countries and they're all saying actually you know in chiropractic that's about the same as well we you know we used to think this and now we we don't so we're all saying the same thing so hopefully this is this is a nice interdisciplinary cross-profession uh, sensible evidence-based paper that's that's all it is and what i wanted to ask you is why do you think that these traditional manual therapy principles are not supported by the current evidence I well, I think it's just, um, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with, with moving on and there is nothing wrong with the development of those principles at that time because we didn't, we didn't know stuff and, and they're good explanations for things. And, you know, if, if you think back to, say, 
way before way before your time, of course, Marianne, and before mine as as well. But you know, the sort of fifties, sixties, seventies, when this stuff was all, all sort of developing and emerging, and and the, the physiotherapy profession was trying to find its identity amidst a lot of medical based healthcare. It it had to it it had to have some way of sort of talking about what they do in a sort of scientific way, and it's it would have made sense to say actually physiotherapy is not just pressing somebody's joint. We do it in a very careful, skilled way, and you have to be trained really carefully. In the same way, a surgeon needs to be trained really well to do surgery. A physiotherapist needs to be trained, and you have to do this special course with these very special people and i'm not being that that might sound a bit sort of derogatory but not because the people of this time the therapists of those time were amazing people and they had developed these skills and they wanted to pass them on um and one way to pass them on was was having a structure and a system and a very specific way of doing it so you know if you press this hard we'll call it grade this if you press a bit harder we'll call it grade that and this is how this is how we can learn and this, so there's nothing wrong with that and you know it, it makes sense that there, there were some want some biomechanical laws like the concave convex law and people could then increase the sort of scienceiness of of manual therapy by saying something like we even sort of think about complex biomechanics, and actually, if you put if you push your joint in this way, and that one's still, and that one moves, it's it's aligning to this law and things like this. So it sounded really good, and it's probably in doing so, it's probably stretching something here, or breaking an adhesion here, or fixing something here. So you imagine, you know, that that era, all that made perfect sense, and I'm absolutely sure that all those guys and and, and gals were thinking this is our theory and it needs put into a test and eventually in the future you know research will be done to look at the validity of these things and it has been done and this is and this is the point we're at now so you know the concave convex law for example is as you know has been challenged uh, significantly and it really doesn't matter which way you push a joint to get the therapeutic effect and you don't actually need a system of grades to tell you how hard to push just ask the patient how they feel and look for a, you know effect so so and the trials are you know consistently showing those things you know these trials that sort of match different or compare different approaches to, to manual therapy the Maitland versus the whatever versus nothing approach and you can see, yeah, anybody who sort of touched somebody, the person did well, but it didn't matter how they did it. Uh, so, so there's still something very human, very valuable, very therapeutic about touch. Um, but it's not the it's not the systems, it's not the the explanations. It's just being a human and caring for somebody and and giving them the confidence that they can move and they're robust. And this is a sort of this is an opportunity to then you know engage in 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 exercise or rehabilitation or, or whatever so all those explanations are sort of tipped on the edge so i in answer to your question why do i think these uh, principles are not supported by the evidence because they would they were just a, a nice theory that did the job at the time and evidence is sort of shown as that okay that's great but we don't actually need that level of theory now so it's time to move on yes 
that that's crazy and i just can't imagine like how that's gonna a lot of people are just going to go crazy about it because that's what we believed over the years about manual therapy and realizing that maybe it doesn't really matter how you do it that's not where the the effects of the 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 the, the technique are right so i think that's going to be i guess surprising for many physical therapists Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we've, we're already getting some sort of uh, tr trouble from this, which is, which is understandable. You know, there's this thing about professional identity, and and our professional identity at the moment is 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 shaky because you you know a lot of what we're doing is being evaluated and examined, and a lot of what we thought we did that was good is being shown not to be so good. And other people can do what we do, and we jump we jump from thing to thing. So we say we're the specialist in manual therapy. Then somebody says chiropractors, no, we're better than you. Okay, we're the specialist in exercise, and then some strength and conditioning people go, no, we're better than you. And we go, okay, we're the best in communication. Then some psychologists come and say, no, we're better than you. So we're 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 really struggling with professional identity. So something like having a scientifically sounding theory for for something like, like manual therapy gives us some specialism and some identity. So I can see, you know, I feel it. If you strip that away, potentially we've lost a bit more of our professional identity. But also it's an opportunity to to reconceptualize what our what our professional identity is. You know, the, the choices are either holding on to the past and then looking even more foolish in a decade's time or looking at the evidence and saying, right, come on, guys and gals, it's time. It's time to move on now and it's time to refresh who we are and show the world what we're really good at. And, and we are good at all those things. We just need to do it in a different way and not get not get anchored down and weighted down by ridiculous explanations of things that you don't you don't need uh you know so there is you, you're absolutely right Marianne. there's there's a lot of a uh, lot of tension around this yeah and and like you talk about a lot about person-centered care and and efficiency and i think that a good way to look at things my opinion is moving out of just the passive technique but putting the patient in the middle of that and testing the efficiency if what you're doing is improve the range of motion right there if the manual therapy you're doing it's improving the patient's um whatever deficit that you're treating i think that's the that's the the, the goal so not just doing passive techniques for the sake of doing them because as you said we want to be specializing something and be get our identity. So I think for me, it makes total sense that we have to be thinking about the results that we are creating for the patient and not whatever the technique we are using to get there as long as we are. So I think that's the, my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. And you know, that, that, that is our opinion as well. Focus on the outcomes, you know, we're there for the patient, not for us. And that's why we've um, we tried to introduce a bit, the terminology and the 
revised paper. So when, when we say something like specialized palpation, what we mean is essentially this idea of client-centered palpation. We do it for us. We do it for the, uh, sorry, cl clinician-centered uh, palpation. So for example, I'm palpating to see how stiff I think it is. Um, so, you know, it's about the clinician, not the patient. If we did patient-centered, say, palpation, that might be something like, how painful is it? Because that's, that's a person thing. It's about the patient. And if we focus on the outcome rather than the, the, the journey to the outcome, you're right. You know, that's what we need. And all these things can have a role in that. And the idea of passive versus active interventions is a bit silly as well. You know, I know a lot of people don't agree with this, but, you know, the laying on of hands on somebody, therapeutic touch, doesn't have to be a passive thing. That can be an integrative, immersive, active thing where the patient has a role in that, in the understanding of their own body. And all we're doing is saying, look, your body's fine, it can move, and we're going to just help it move. Here's here's us working together for it to move. And now, oh, wow, look at you. Now you're doing all, all that by itself. So it's a tiny, tiny little stepping stone to 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 the desired outcome just just as you say um and we need to just focus less on the detail of some of this stuff we're doing and more on the big picture giving the patient the confidence to move right i think exactly. that's the yeah yeah, yeah. changing and, the narrative and, around it yes and i know you talk a little bit on that paper too about the clinical and cost effectiveness of manual therapy would you like to just talk a little bit about that part i think it was very interesting so I guess one easy thing, going back to our sort of faculty annual discussions on how should we do manual therapy, one easy, perhaps the easiest thing would be to look at all the literature and all the literature consistently says this is no good, it doesn't do any better than anything else and people will get just as good if you didn't do that. Because then we could say, great, we can free up some curriculum time. We don't need to teach manual therapy anymore. But the literature doesn't say that. You know, if you look at, uh, so, so part of the paper, we've done a sort of mini meta-analysis of reviews. So if you look at all the systematic reviews over the last 15 years or so, um, there's, there's a consistency in it that it says there's, a, there's clinical effectiveness and cost effectiveness if it's if manual therapy is, is used judiciously as part of a multimodal package which ultimately sort of emphasizes the exercise components of somebody's rehabilitation uh, and actually if you take the manual therapy away outcomes are a little bit worse so the and, and that's cost effective as well so it's been shown the addition of manual therapy to rehabilitation packages has been shown consistently to re reduce the cost of a care package for, for for people so that puts us in in the difficult position of but, but really exciting position of wow something's working and it's cheap but what is it? What is it that's the thing that's working? Well, again, it's not the it's not the grades, it's not the system, it's not the cleverness, it's not the all that traditional stuff. It is just the being safe, comfortable, and efficient, and encouraging somebody to to move. So, um, as as I say, in in some ways, it would be easier if trials consistently said manual therapy is rubbish because then it just makes the decision for us. But we're in this beautiful place, actually, where we know it can be helpful. But the way of doing it doesn't need to be anything more than something very simple.
Yes. And I think it's going to need a big shift on the educational aspect of teaching uh, to implement those concepts, which I think it's probably going to take some time to happen, right? Absolutely. I mean, again, that was the first point of the paper to, to be almost a sort of, you know, we don't want to tell people what to do, but we're saying we've taken the time here at Nottingham to look at the evidence, think carefully about the way we teach things, and this is how we do it. So if you want to do it like this, here's a framework for how we do it, um, it which is quite a simple concept because you would think somebody else might go, oh, that's nice. Somebody's already done the groundwork. We just need to follow this framework. Um, but as you know, also, it's more complicated than that because people look at that and go, that's wrong. That, you know, where are my grades? Where are they? I've been doing it like this for years, blah, blah, blah. So you're right. That is a cultural mind shift change. Yeah. Yes. And I, I mean, that's the starting point, right? Um, it has to start somehow. Yeah, you've got to break the cycle somewhere. Yes. And... So tell us a little bit about this new framework that was proposed on the paper. So, again, this this is where, you know, eventually people listening to this and reading the, the paper eventually will think, oh, well, we think they say, oh, I see, it's so simple. Uh, but it's also a chance for people to say, it's almost too simple. What's going on here? We need some. We need something else to fill fill the gap. I don't. I don't think that's the case. So basically, our framework is really simple, and we've tried to use some case studies in the paper to one about teaching, one about practice, to try and give a sense of how we literally do it here. So we've got a bunch of nineteen and twenty year olds who've started their physiotherapy program, and we say, right, we're going to do this thing called manual therapy. Um, and it involves us putting our hands on somebody and move, helping them move and blah, blah, blah. Have a very basic narrative about that. And then we say, basically, there are some sort of rules, but all those rules are based around three core elements. You've got to be safe. So we don't want you killing anybody. We don't want you sort of breaking anybody's bones and we don't want you rubbing anybody's skin too hard and things like that. And we don't want your patient falling off the bench and we don't want you tripping over and all these things. So, so we establish these rules about safety. Uh, and the second thing is we want this to be comfortable. We want this to be comfortable for the patient and for you. And we stop using, I, I, I should have I'm fallen into my own trap because we have also stopped using the word patient in all of this as well. And we just try and replace it with the word person. So, you know, the people who come to see us, they want to be, feel comfortable about this whole thing comfortable from a physic physical point of view comfortable from an emotional and psychological point of view comfortable with the idea of somebody putting their hands on them and the actual technique is as well being comfortable which immediately removes needs for things like grades as i say because this is what we used to say so when students say how hard should i push somebody's out for we'll say well you know in, enough to do the job you want it to do so if you if you're trying to if you're trying to work with somebody to help them believe that their back is robust and they can move uh, and uh, not all not all uh, afferent input has to be seen as pain, then you want this to be comfortable. You don't, So you don't want to push too hard. So you, you, you're constantly working. So and, and then we've got this third thing called efficiency, which is basically do this as few times as possible for maximum output 
and the way you do the technique make it very efficient as well so think about where you're standing think about where your hands are placed it's more efficient if you fix this side and move that side rather than wiggle both sides so some of the some of that old stuff comes comes through you know uh, you know fix the proximal side mobilize the distal side it comes through but it, it's packaged just as, as being efficient and comfortable rather than because that's the biomechanical law or something like that it just makes sense to hold this a bit easier and move and move that so we can still do really and you know it's more efficient if your hands are close to the joint line rather than having them around here it's but again it's not based on uh, an australian person's vision of the world or uh, some weird biomechanical thing it's just common sense you know just hold it there it's a bit more comfortable and you can do it a bit easier so we argue that every single element of manual therapy can be can be talked about in those three things safety comfort and efficiency and and then of course that uh, what sits over that is is communication and the way you know you the way you talk about the role of manual therapy is somebody's care with with the with the person and um you know so we move away from a narrative of uh, something's out of place i'm going to put it back in place i know that's an, an old extreme view but it's still it, it's still prevalent to something like we're just going to help work together see 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 if we can get you moving and back to work again or back to playing your the sport you love or whatever uh, and uh, you know it's an evidence-based phenomenon anyway so the starting point is it's evidenced because this is evidence this is what but it's a very person-centered ev evidence so we're using what we know from the population data uh simple therapeutic touch can be effective and particularly with you because because you know you're really struggling to move your your neck and you're fearful of moving but let, let's just try and move it a little bit so so they're the key so you've got the three core things the safety comfort and efficiency and it's all about communication and being person-centered and as you say as well outcome focused uh about this and i think i thought that was really interesting some at some point on the article you talk about even teaching the technique to the patient to help them do at home so i think that was very very interesting and, and nice to try to empower the patients, even in the context of manual therapy, when you think about being more passive, but kind of empowering and teaching them how they can help themselves when they are at home as well. Exactly. And that would fit under our efficiency box because everything becomes more efficient if it doesn't rely on a healthcare professional do, doing that. And of course, you know, this, this stuff's been done for for years we're, we're uh, absolutely not the first people to talk about somebody doing their own sort of movement you know that's embedded in all the the, the mulligan stuff mckenzie and thing but we're again it's a framing of it we're just saying look, let's work out a way you can really sort of do this because actually that that really stiff midfoot you've got that's that's caught that's stopping you from sort of going running you know if you just wiggle that about a bit every hour or so you'd start to feel the difference so it's no good coming here every hour you just go and do it yourself we'll show you just get a bit of non-elastic strapping and give it a good old pull now and again just get used to that before you go run or something so again it's embedding those things in a in a, in a bigger picture and and engaging with the with, with people to to um improve their autonomy and ownership there 
Yeah, I think it's all about efficiency and the outcome, right? Whatever gives us the best outcome. So that's how we should, we should do it. Uh, and so talking about in practical terms, I, I know that you put like two case studies in the end of the article, which was really nice to give like a practical example of how to use those things um, from like a teaching perspective and from like a clinician perspective. Would you like to just talk a little bit about those examples to help us visualize how that would work? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, literally, this is, I'm not making this up. Um, when, when I, so I sort of wrote, quickly wrote down the notes to those two case examples and then, and then sent it out for people to, the other co-authors to look at and things. And literally, the, the teaching one, I'd just been teaching the, the cervical spine here at Nottingham. And it was like three in the afternoon or something. And I, I ran back to the office and, and I thought, Oh, I've got it. I've, I've just got to, I was going to do that case study. So I literally wrote down what I'd just been teaching the hour before and, and used some of the sentences and the phrases that the students had said and things like that. And just put them into this case study. So it's an absolutely, you know, hundred percent true real time case study. And same with the patients as well. I was talking to a guy who we'd just been doing this with him he had a stiff he had a stiff neck so i thought so it was the first thing i thought so they're both they're both these sort of real real things but the idea is 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 again to to let the reader see how we teach things in nottingham and, and the things to to avoid saying as well so we, so we've mainly been speaking about you know things things how it looks and what we should be saying and doing but th there's another sort of um, and I'll come back to the case study because this this is relevant to the case study. There's another sort of argument that sits slightly beyond all this, which is something like so. So far, we've said traditional manual therapy based on these three principles. Evidence doesn't support those anymore. Uh, let's just do something basic. So somebody could say, "Well, hold on a minute. I've I've had a career of being very specialist and Maitlandy or whatever, and." Um, I don't want to stop doing some of that, um, and it's my own time, or you know, it's my own clinic and my thing. That's fine. So you could say there's no harm in carrying on doing that old way, but actually, in the literature, there's this sense that actually it could be more harmful because some of those, some of the messaging, the health messaging that comes with those specialist techniques about the pathoanatomical reasoning and the special way you, your joint needs to move and all this can, you know, instill aberrant health beliefs with the, with the patient. So potentially there is harm in, in still using some of that older stuff. So we try and get our students, we don't even introduce any of the old stuff to our students because they don't know any difference. They're here. This is for the first time. So we use simple positive messaging and avoid any reference to things like, you know, systems or grades or or anything like that. We just say, look, this is a really safe, careful, comfortable and efficient way to hold somebody's neck. And you know what? If you stand there and you put your leg there, it becomes a bit more efficient as well. And can you see that's easier to do? And and then the and then I think we're putting that teaching case study, then the student says, again, something like, how much should I move their neck or something? Well, again, you can work that out with the, within the safety, comfort and efficiency thing. You don't want to move it so much that it's painful or not safe, 
but you want to be efficient, so you want to get as much out of the movement as possible, and then feed that directly into their own active movement. And 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 that's the that's the sort of model we use. And then the care, the clinical case study is pretty much the same as I remember. It's a guy with with, with neck pain as well who who hadn't moved his neck much for 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 some years. It really stiff neck and he, his belief was through typical story you know, belief was through series of, of, of previous physiotherapy care he, he, he believed that his neck was unstable unsafe and it was too stiff to move and he, he was worried about moving it so uh, three or four minutes of some gentle uh, passive movement communicating with him uh, and he, he realized it was okay to move his head uh, but there was nothing other than being safe comfortable efficient there's nothing special needed about that movement it was just you know m- me being careful about what i was doing and, and caring and kind and uh working working with somebody so so the two case studies are just supposed to say look this is how simple it is you know it doesn't really you don't need the big words you don't need the big explanation you just need to be a, ca- a caring profession or Yes, I think that's awesome. And then hopefully soon people will have the chance to take a look at them and and have a better idea of what we are talking about, right? Yeah, hopefully. Um, so before I transition to the final questions, do you have anything else that you want to talk about the paper that we haven't talked or mentioned? Um, no, only to say, you know, this is just, um, even if for people listening, it acts as a sort of a start of a conversation, uh, about the future of manual therapy and we hope to put on you know so, some more dissemination events some some workshops be at conferences and things and talk about things but it's the, the irony is you know we, we, people have already started saying to you well why don't you do like a one-day course teaching people the new way and the that's missing the point. The irony is, it doesn't need it doesn't need a special person to go and deliver a one day course. It's just really simple. But maybe we do some sort of visual sort of examples of how we do it, or we live stream one of our classes with the undergraduates, or something like that. Um, but what 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 I don't really want to happen, and nobody does. But I know what, what will happen is people sort of get sense of this and immediately react and say no. I've always done it like this, you know. I've been on all the courses. I know what, what's what. Uh, we need to start a conversation with with all three professions and all members of those professions. And it doesn't matter if that conversation gets a bit bumpy, uh, but we've got to sort of be steered by the evidence and be steered by who we think we are as a profession or a group of professions. Yes, and I think we have to have that in mind, the outcomes and and helping our patients and doing, you know, that's what the evidence is there to help us do something that's efficient. So I think that's what people should focus on when they get too attached to these point of views and picking their sides and fighting and, you know, it's it's about the patient and the outcomes. That's what we all want. Remember who we're here for. We're not here to make ourselves (laughs) feel special or amazing we're here to help yeah. help people yeah need a, absolutely. Back into engaging with society yes yes um okay so let's talk about resource of information anything that you want to mention any are any books or papers that you like in particular this 
this sort of simple question gets more and more complex as the world moves on because there is so much information. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, I'm still very old school. I still think you can get a, a lot of good information from a good old textbook. So I, I know they're sort of out of date before they're even published. But, you know, the, the latest, you know, the shoulder, Jeremy Lewis's shoulder book is full of like really incredibly valuable information for contemporary practitioners. So, he, you, you know, book, books like that still have a role and obviously keeping an eye on research, but it's it gets increasingly difficult you know i'm i'm an academic my job is keeping an eye on research and i get the time to do that heaven knows how a full time clinician is is expected to keep up with um with, with the a few years ago we did this little um sort of half thought experiment half quantitative uh analysis of, of, of uh, the amount of evidence that was published. So we just looked at M and this was a this was a good ten years ago, looked at the amount of um, weekly publications in peer reviewed journals of uh, to do with MSK. Um, and it equated to something like seven John Grisham novels a day in terms of the, the amount of work. In other words, if you wanted to keep up with the evidence, you'd literally have to read the equivalent to seven John Grisham novels every day. So obviously keeping up, keeping up with the, the literature in that sense is impossible. Uh, so good, good channels uh, to synthesize um, evidence like this, like your podcast, you know, brilliant. There's nothing better than, than a, well, a well thought out podcast or, you know, social media as... as does have a really serious role in this if you you know know how to navigate things you know and to tell you the truth that's probably my first access point if if i'm interested in oh God, what's the latest thing on achilles tendinopathy or something i would go to twitter first and then google and then pubmed and then web of science and and see where see what's consistent but things like twitter are your first shortcut in into all of that and often somebody's done a lot of the for you so so yeah yeah um books old school books and quick access routes to complex amounts of information yes yeah that's a lot a lot to to keep up with um and twitter the more i i a lot of the guests they have twitter they're always in twitter and yeah i have to start being more on Twitter, I guess. Yeah, Sounds a bit um, old school, doesn't it? Everybody's Snapchatting and TikToking these days and they and they all have their roles as well. But I think Twitter's a bit it is a bit old school, but it's still solid. Yeah. Unless Elon yeah. Musk does anything uh, anything more with it. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's okay. Um <laughs> uh, and what would be the best advice you can give to clinicians that are starting their careers? Uh, just just be be yourselves and don't get drawn in to stuff that you don't need to be drawn into and have the confidence that you can sculpt your own career path. People, uh, you know, our, our recent graduates really struggle with the idea of knowing what they should and shouldn't be doing and whether they're making the right move or not. If it feels right, do it. You know, have a mentor, um, talk to people, but be be permitted to to not worry too much about is this right or wrong what I'm doing now 
because you'll work that out. That that will come and and just just have a goal, have an aim. Think who 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 do I want to be? What sort of person do I want to be? Hook up with with mentors who can help you, and and just but just enjoy things. It's a really privileged profession to 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 be in where people let you into their lives in a way that they don't let anybody else into their lives not even their family you know we we should be really privileged uh with with that and and respect that and, and work with people yeah yes absolutely and my final question what personal qualities and abilities that you think are important to become a successful physical therapist yeah, we we just developed this new physiotherapy program, and part of it was thinking, what sort of people do we want to produce? Who are we, you know, turning out the other end? What what do we want them to look to look like? And we had a few sort of stakeholder meetings and workshops about that. And then there's just been a paper published as well, and uh, this is how bad I am, I, and I can't remember who the author was. I know it's r recent. Maybe we could put a link up to it or something like that. But it said what are the six qualities of a of a physiotherapist, and of course it's all the stuff that that, that you thought it's being it's being you know a good communicator, having flexibility of mind, being adaptable. Having having some resilience, but but being kind and, and caring, and things like clinical skills come very low down on on these on these lists of things that make a good thing. You know, they're secondary to what we do. Obviously, again, we've got to be safe and and, and good at what we do. There's no doubt about that. But it's not that your technical abilities that make a, a good successful physical therapist. It's the communication and the caring. And the the thoughtfulness and and being adaptable to 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 change, which which we're gonna have to be more and more so, you know, in a increasingly changing world, we we're just gonna that's got just gonna be normal. Yes, and we complete the full circle now. We just start talking about it, and in the end, it's not about you know exactly what you're doing, but I guess how you're doing, how you're communicating, and like all the our other soft skills that involve the treatment then the specialized palpation and the technique that we are doing i guess that's just goes back to what we started the podcast it, talking about yeah it is and, you know, i've said this before people don't you know lots of people say this pretty soon you know robots artificial intelligence are going to be doing a lot of that a lot of that technical stuff for us and making diagnostic decisions and stuff like that. Uh, so if we if we if we build our identity on those things, we we're going to be you know again we're going to be dissolved pretty soon in the next couple of decades. But the stuff that robots can't do, uh, care for people, have empathy, work out problems. Uh, in a fast-changing world and a complex world, you know they're, they're, that's who that's who we we are. Yeah, you know. I yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, so Roger, if people want to learn more more about you or your work, is that a way they can find you? Um, yeah, you're not going to like this again because I'm just going to say Twitter again, Mariana. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's even more Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think my thing is at Roger Kerry one, but um, okay. you know you can you can just Google me and get my university email address as well, and it's always lovely to hear from people. Awesome, awesome! I'll make sure to put this information on the show notes so people can find you. Um, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to share your, your knowledge with us and this new paper that's coming out that I'm sure is going to be very polemic. But we are here starting the conversation and, and, and let's see where this goes, right? That's, yeah. Well, thank you so much. As I say, all the pleasure is mine, Mariana. It's been lovely to meet you as well. And I am coming to Nashville. Awesome. I'll wait for you in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> You have a good rest of your day, Roger. Thank you. Thank you very much. Questions, suggestions, or topics you want to hear about, talk to me on ptprotalk.com. Join our email list to receive updates and new episodes and subscribe here. Tell your friends about it and be sure to share. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. We are going to publish today's video recording on my YouTube channel, so you can check the link out in the show notes. Thanks for joining us and I'll see you next time.